This is Steve from Retroman Blog, and I'm here down in the Medway with uh, Billy Childish. Uh, thank you for seeing us, Billy. It's a pleasure. And we're interviewing you while you paint a what ten foot canvas, is it? Paint mine. Yeah, it's a pretty impressive piece of work. And with me is Paul Slattery, rock photographer, who's uh, photographed Billy on and off for how many years? Twenty five years or so. Thirty years. Thirty years. Yeah. Oh, don't forget. Actually, actually 37, huh? 37, 37 years. years. Yeah, 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 that's oh, yeah. right. I've just given Billy some pictures I took of the pistols playing at Brunel, oh, yeah. uh, which uh, Billy saw on the NME website, and he said, that's me, that's yeah. me in the front row, that's me, <laughs> shouting at Johnny Rotten. Yeah. And uh, I got an email from Billy, and uh, Billy said, got any more of those pictures? Yeah. And I looked through my negatives, and sure enough, I had four shots with Billy in. So I've just given him the prints this morning. Yeah, we saw the prints, and they're, they're quite impressive, aren't they? But that was towards the end of the pistols. That was 77, career, was it? yeah, it was. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah, But I saw Billy again in, uh, down at the front line theatre. It's good, isn't it? It's good, yeah. isn't it? The end of the pistols, 1977. Yeah, I know, I know. <laughs> and I know. it was the end, because, like, after, the, after that, just previous to that, we'd been... Um, I saw X-ray specs up at the Vortex, who were one of my favourite live groups, mm-hmm. and um, the Sham 69 fans were there, and it was violent, and I decided not to go to those shows anymore. And um, I sort of clashed at Rainbow, probably just after the Pistols. That was with Sham supporting. Right. And yeah. that was the whole thing that just completely yeah. put me off it. That's yeah. it. Yeah. I'm not interested. Yeah. Formed the Pop Rabbits in quite early as well, didn't it? Nineteen seventy-seven. We actually just found um, live footage that had been lost, and we got live footage from the first show at Detlin Village Hall, and we got the soundtrack. Fantastic! Yeah. So it's super eight and really clear as well. Yeah. Wow. So and that's you know it's Detlin Village Hall. It's uh, five miles in the middle of nowhere. It used to be anyway in the back of beyond. Wow. And. um, Supporting the local other local group called Gash, and um, we yeah we we already released some of it because we had the uh, tape, but the no one could find the Super Eight and Big Russ found it. Really, it was meant to have been given to a fellow in Switzerland. I spent ages because there's some Super Eight footage of us in Switzerland, as well, and Russ gave it to somebody. Um, Like he is quite good at getting rid of the archive, Russ. He deleted all of the all of the milkshakes live stuff from Germany that people had given us, yeah. which was on the VHS. Yeah. Yeah. And then we, and this was considered gone. But then all of a sudden it turned up. Um, Ian Danley just got that. We're just releasing a box set with it in. We got them. Oh, yeah. Really. I had a text from Ian today saying he's got some goodies coming out soon. Yeah. Oh right. He didn't say what it was. Mm. I suppose then days there wasn't that so much video footage around like there is now. Well, where everyone's got super, a camera. This, and this was a girl who was at the um, Medway College who was on the same year as me, 
because I was at Medway at the time, that's where I met the others. After I left the doctor, after I left here, because I was a stonemason when I was a kid, then I managed to get into art school in my drawing. And um, that's where I met the lads and we formed a group. And uh, this girl there came along and had a parent Super 8 camera. But listening to the pop rivets now, musically they're probably more sophisticated than a lot of the stuff that you were doing with the milkshakes, which is unusual. Normally the punk bands progress. Well, what happened with us is that um, there's a really, real simple reason for that, because uh, there was a little support group that was working with the pop rivets called the uh, Mickey and the Milkshakes. And that was a mate of ours at college. And he had a, his mate Bertie was in the group. We were all friends with Bruce. And uh, so they used to do a little knot-together group. And then Bertie and Mick sort of did some rodeoing with the milkshakes when we went out mm. to Europe in a, just an old van organising our own gigs. And me and Mick both had a... I came to punk rock through rock and roll. Yeah. So really to backtrack a bit, I was brought up on rock and roll music... When the Beatles and everything split up and music ended at the end of the 70s, um, Hendrix died and all that, and these are the things I'd listened to, I wasn't interested in glam or what mm. happened. And I was totally out of step with people at my school and everything. And then when I heard, um, saw Jam play at, at London University and heard Jam and that in 77, I thought, oh, this is like what I like and I can be involved in music again. And there were different strands that were in punk rock and the reason punk rock was so riven with problems is most of them came from David Bowie and not mm. many of them came from Gene Vincent or the rock and roll thing. You only got people like Strummer and that with that rock and roll yeah. aspect. And to an extent, the jam, we were doing some Beatles yeah. things, a more rock and roll nature. And the Damned, of course, and the Mopeds. These were the sort of rock and roll strand. Mm. But the predominant people were secret glam people. Yeah. So that's why it sort of lurched straight back into um, straight into yeah. New Romanticism, which we abhorred. Yeah. And yeah. Mick was in a Gene Vincent, like me and... The it's Mickey Hampshire. Yeah. yeah. So me and him were talking about doing a group, and when the Pop Rivets... Because the Pop Rivets, I was trying to get them to do more, more rock and roll, and it just wasn't yeah. happening. And simpler. I wanted yeah. everything simple. And I couldn't play guitar at that time. I was just learning a bit. Yeah. And uh, me and Mick decided to form a group, and we got his old band, The Milkshake, so I yeah. took over that moniker. Bruce, who is the guitarist of the Pop Rivets, a very, very erudite guitarist, and sort of like, he'd previously, um, uh, his favourite guitarist, Jimmy Page, and mm. he was into um, all of the rock stuff before punk rock. Yeah. And that's evident in his school. And, that, and he, him, Big Russ and Little Russ all played in a group prior to punk mm. rock doing that stuff apart from they're a bit into Lou Reed and people, mm. so they're a bit slightly to the side of the mainstream. Yeah. And they were interested in the odd stuff. So that's why they wanted to form a punk group, and then yeah. I was the only punk in the town. Yeah. They noticed, so I was the singer. <laughs> but it wasn't satisfying in the end for us. And then when me and Mick formed this group, we said to Bruce he could be in the group if he learned to play drums. Yeah. Because he couldn't play drums, and we thought that'd be good because yeah. that would hamstring him. <laughs> yeah. And we didn't want any wheedling guitars, we called yeah. it. Yeah. So everything was sort of like year zero for us and nothing to do with glam rock and reinventing rock and roll music because that's what we thought punk rock was going to be. Yeah. So essentially, we were doing what we thought was we'd been denied. And one of your choices for uh, your picks was the Beatles. And you've picked a... a 
probably listening to the milkshakes, I think you can see this influence, is, is the Beatles, but a live recording at the Star Club in, in Hamburg in 1962. Shimmy, shimmy. Uh, well, let's hear it. So then, with the the milkshakes, which probably one of the best loved of your your lineups, that uh, that came sort of straight after you, you met up with Mickey Hampshire and, and Bruce, put Bruce on drums, and um, then you were going for quite a while with the milkshakes, weren't you? And you, did you ever? Well, it only seems like that. Yeah. Because all of these groups, you see, when you're young, they last forever. So the Pop Rivets for three years, yeah. Milkshakes for three or four. Oh, was that, oh, I always thought Caesars that was, was probably three or four. Head Coach is about ten, ten years. years. Yeah, That's right, over ten years. Yeah. Mm. But the Milkshakes, I mean, I went down to see them at the Frontline Theatre and um, I just thought, wow, these guys are playing real rock and roll, what I call real yeah. rock and roll. And uh, it kind of blew me away because things were... You know, I was a young photographer working in the music business and things were moving in a completely different direction then, you know. Mm. By 83, 84, you had all these post-punk bands, which I wasn't really that interested in, quite honestly. Mm. And Billy, I went to see Billy down the Frontline Theatre and uh, it was raw. Well, one yeah. thing that we were really involved in is we hated the sound of the thing that sets us really apart and the big influence we had would be that when we were doing the pop rivets, I was big on the old beat music I'd listened to when I was a kid. Mm. And we were sort of like doing uh, some Kinks covers and things. And we couldn't work out why we went into the studio, why the sound was so bad and mm. why the sound was so good yeah. on the old records. Yeah. And then we discovered Link Ray and we, and we found out that these people were recording very simply on very basic equipment. So really we spent a lot of our time experimenting in how to have something that was not worried over mm. had exuberance and was um, like a recording rather than a production
everything since then has been a has been a reverence and understanding for sound. So it might sound poncy, but the groups were treated as art, mm. never as commercial, because mm. everything was for the song and the music and the way it wants to be, yeah. not for the particular ego of a member of the group who mm. wanted something, but trying to subjugate our egos and allow the uh, allow the song to be what it wanted to be like. Yeah, and we had no interest or worry about commercial aspects and we had no doubt that what we were doing was correct the best mm. and right so we, we were very unusual in that sense we didn't ever feel ourselves less than anybody yeah. particularly me and Mick yeah. I mean other members of the groups had, in the milkshakes had their doubts occasionally but we mm. never did and we carried on with that as being our, the way we, we operate so that philosophy has gone throughout your yeah because career, all that happened was is I saw punk rock I saw the jam playing on the floor at London University I thought this is great a few months later I saw them playing at Batsy Town all Jubilee week on a five foot stage and I thought mm, it's okay mm. two a month or two later I saw their, their second single came with a colour sleeve of all things mm. and it was at the Rainbow and there was a photographer pit we were 30 back in seats mm -hmm. and I thought this is not what I wanted to do this for mm. this is changed fast as you like mm. and um, I everything we've done is like what we would like it to be like yeah. so I um, and I have arguments about this with people but you know we realised that we had to have a vocal PA sound that wasn't controlled by somebody else Mm. And the thing that have its origin behind us is the sound. Mm. Because the whole reason for doing music is it's about sound. But people don't care about sound, they care about volume and high fidelity. Mm. But you don't notice that when you listen to a good Link Ray track or a mm. Who track. All you do is have this, mm. uh, this incredible energy animating. Yeah. And you sort of like think, well, like, and it's sort of like unbridled. And I sort of like. And, it, and understanding how that works and what mm. that is, usually it's low volume and it's not for a mass market. And so that's why we went back into the blues as well, because yeah. I'd been a Hendrix fan when I was a kid and I'd heard of Muddy, Muddy Waters and we went back inside. Every, everything's lost its way. It's not what it's mm. really, really should be about. So and you're trying to capture that initial moment of say seeing the, 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 the jam is that what no, you're always not, trying to get that, that, that sort that, of that's that excitement of seeing something yeah like I think I think saying the seeing the jam would be certainly not what I'm trying to capture not, not so much the, really, yeah. specifically but yeah. that sound and that excitement of seeing something well, more, more, more like more like the Beatles on Cracker Jack or whatever they were on mm. when I was a kid mm. you know it's like I like that I want to be like that mm. simple as that you know and all of those groups had those moments like yeah. the Who when they were an R&B group before rock is that why really you change lineups a lot? Is it why you freshen yeah, it, things up it, to try and keep that happens, energy? It just happens that way. People get mm. tired, things move, we get tired. We, it's just, um, it helps you be a moving target and it means you mm. don't get stale. But let's, mm. it's not really a plan, it's just work that yeah. way. Yeah. It sounds like it's, it seems like it's a plan, but it's yeah. not. And we're always just trying to get to the essence Mm. of what the thing is and it's exactly the same as making a painting and trying to have, an, have a sketch and energy mm. because 
the reason that I've said this so many times in the past that the reason these records sound like they're 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 a shit that's taken six months or a year to squat out is that's because they are yeah we are not aiming to make a product we're aiming for some of the songs to work. Because everything that you record is, a, is it first take? No. Do you go in overdubs and you do? We do all sorts of. Uh, I mean, you really got me two halves of a of take. Uh, what is it? You really got me. So apparently, it's like first half take one and the second half takes thirty five or something. Yeah. <laughs> you know, this is all smoke and mirrors. Yeah. But the smoke and mirrors, we're not pretending that we're not recording mm. and it's not live. But the smoke and mirrors is for it, mm. not to fool anyone, to give it what it wants. Yeah. So we'll do what it takes. And I mean, we'll change tire. It's like doing a painting. I mean, these mm. things are done very fast, very... And then I would, you know, just bang down, and then I'll change one element Yeah. that isn't right very yeah. carefully. Yeah. yeah. It's sort of like it's meticulously engineered with trust in the creation yeah it's not fussed over or worried about yeah and this is where people don't understand what we do yeah, yeah. You know, i think there is a slight music. yeah there's probably a misconception is that you pretty much a lot of what you're doing is that just a spontaneous first take record live in the studio yeah, bang, but, well obviously that anyone who, yeah but people get caught up in notions and ideas if you're a writer and write poetry and you can write six lines dash them off it's going to be better than if you sweat it mm. every writer knows it does it mm. always happen no mm. so what are you then doing after that sensibly you're trying to make it look like that's what it was mm. Mm. and when you take uh, like the best photos that paul's ever taken mm. god gave them to him mm. because any photographer is worth their salt knows that like you make your you make the situation, you take the pic, and the, yeah. you take your picture, and if you could control what's happening, 
and get a great picture every time, you would. Mm. But you can't. You put yourself in the mix, and the best pieces you know were given to you, and mm. you can't get them because the man was there, that was there, this happened. Mm. Mm. You obviously put yourself in the frame mm. to yeah. allow this to, to go on. But lots of mm. things, like in music, are not done that way. Music's innately conservative, mm. and it's very product-led. Mm. Mm. And it's trying to flatter the egos mm. of immature people. Mm. Big, big job. It means that the whole thing has to be riddled with problems. Yeah. yeah. And the only way to be free of it is to not care yeah. what those people think. Yeah. If you do care what they think, and you're pretending you don't, you're in trouble. Yeah. Lucky for <laughs> us, we don't pretend. We mean it. Yeah. And I'm totally okay that I don't get the recognition I could yeah. or that people don't realise how great our groups are yeah. or what we've done is. I'm fine with that. I mean, that doesn't mean that I wouldn't like to, people to acknowledge us and we do get acknowledgement sometimes, yeah. but we aren't looking for any validation whatsoever. Yeah. Validation from other people is a nice bonus. Yeah. When, the, when, the, when these groups come up and they say, you know, we get it and you're good and you influenced us. Yeah. Great. Very rarely do they understand what we're doing, though. Yeah, that's true. They don't like us for what we did. They like us for what they think we're doing. There's a feeling in this world that causes unrest. Your ambition and success is what I detest. I try to be true, I'm trying my best I'm not seduced by your cheap love Hatred's a mess, you make me die now You make me die now I heard all you gotta say I heard it in school About your soft soul sex and your sickly drool You only keep yourself just like all the rest You love your filthy gum, think you're the best You make me die now Let's pick one of your, you mentioned Link Ray, which I know is a massive favourite of Paul, because Paul got really into rock photography through seeing Link Ray. And pick your favourite Link Ray track that, um, that really stands out for you. Well, that's a, that would be very, very difficult. At the minute, I think we've got Branded on there. One of my favourites is Branded. Juice is Wild. Juice is Wild is good. It's yeah. one of my yeah. favourites, because it's just so crazy, that drumming. Yeah. Branded, but they're just... Um, Link Ray is someone with an intuitive understanding of uh, the sound of the music at that yes. period. Yeah. yeah. And, um, again, this is like something that you will not hear in... I've never heard of in rock and roll histories. Yeah. But American Indian influence in rock and roll, I think, is massively important. Yeah. You look at Muddy Waters, hear Muddy Waters, and I know it's American Indian, a lot of that. Hendrix, yeah. Link Ray, 
these elements that were brought to it, yeah. they, um, they, it's certainly very, very under, under appreciated or acknowledged mm. influence in Great. blues music. Yeah. Well, let's hear it. Let's not. hear Link Ray and Branded. It's interesting that you mentioned the American Indian influence on, on music. And oh, yeah, we you hear that Muddy Water yeah, track that then, we've got. And then Muddy, Muddy Waters you picked as well. And you hear that Indian yeah. chant, and yeah. that's why I love yeah. it. Yeah. I, I forgot, I was still a fool. Still a fool, yeah. My God, that is sad. It doesn't get any better than that. Yeah, well, let's hear it. Let's hear Muddy Waters and Still a Fool. Well, that's two. That's two trains running. To the midway, listening to your back catalogue in the car, and we were laughing at your the great lyrics of, of the cowboys and Indians. Cowboys are square. Yeah. Uh, what is this attraction then with the Red Indian? Where you, you know, I love the lyric that Indians are cool, aren't they? You know, cowboys are square. You know, it's a. Uh, it's a great I always, line. It's one of these things I just had as a kid. I was interested in American Indian um, in American or Native Americans, and I brought books and found out about this stuff and read little histories of the Sioux. And um, and yeah. Pocahontas, all of these things. Oh, I just fascinated. I'm, yeah. I'm fascinated by history yeah. and by the stories of what humans get up to. Yeah. And uh, this is where I always get in trouble, you see, because apparently I'm only obsessed with the First World War, and then yeah. I'm only obsessed with blues music, and I'm only obsessed with um, um, American Indians, and I'm only yeah. you know just and I'm only obsessed with ancient Rome. Yeah. It's like I'm only obsessed with everything.
think the last choice you came up with was probably the Ramones, and nothing much after that. Is there, is there no contemporary music that you that has moved you at all that you've heard, or do you just sort of not? I just not listened. Not listened. After '77, I didn't go to live groups. The only groups I had were ones that we played with, mm. and uh, I didn't buy music press after that, and I never mm. listened to the radio. I didn't own a television. I mean, we had things forced down our throat. The amazing thing is mm. how much you know and see without yeah. trying. Mm. It just marches in. I mean, yeah. I knew all about Kylie Minogue. I'd never yeah. heard a track or knew anything. I said, what, the time that we get exposed to things, we are playing abroad in the, and we're in a state in a hotel room. Okay, yeah. <laughs> yeah. And then you still like, see these people and you think, yeah, oh, incredible what they get up to. So you've chosen... A Ramones track, which for me was a bit of a surprising choice, because you haven't gone for the loud mouth or the, the sort of early stuff. You've gone for their version of Needles and Pins, and that, I don't know why that should be a surprising choice, but that is really a produced, producing the Ramones out of the Ramones, isn't it? So I, I just didn't think you would have Oh, I liked liked that. it. It's because it's because uh, uh, because Joey is such an innately sensitive singer, you yeah. know, beautiful singer, and yeah. Is, I think it's better than the original. Yeah. And I, um, and they are, uh, it's because I know that the Ramones are Buddy Ollie. This is the extent with the Ramones, is in 77 I bought the first 45, Sheena is a punk rocker, or whatever, I got Sheena as a punk rocker, I got the 45 yeah. somewhere still, and uh, I liked it, but I was um, biased against American music, and I mm. never went to see the Ramones, the mm. only American group I saw was Richard Hell, mm-hmm. supporting The Clash, and I didn't even appreciate that until two weeks later, when I heard his album. And I'd already heard Love Comes in Spurts when I, um, in 76 Friend Aid or 70 Friend Aid on a comp album, a weird mm. comp album. And I liked it because the title was rude. Mm. But I still didn't get it. It took me a while to get it. And then once I... I mean, Richard Hell could have been on there because the Richard Hell's first album. Mm. It's highly produced, yeah. highly... Uh, a, a, a great... Um, probably quite like the pop rivets in a way, Quine, mm. and probably an influence on someone like Bruce. Mm. Robert Quine's a genius. Yes, like, great guitar, sounds like right? a jazz Jimi Hendrix who's got his yeah. finger caught in the strings, yeah. which is <laughs> ideal. I was a child who wanted all of some wild though, died of slow motion, but played with devotion, baby, same with devotion, just a whole other notion. I was 14 and a half, and it wasn't no In the 
I don't have this objection to production. I have an objection to it when it um, when it decimates mm. what music is. Um, it becomes the fashion mm. and decimates the integrity or the feel of songs mm. across the board. Yeah, yeah. I mean, you got. I mean, I had the Beatles records from '63 uh, as a three, four-year-old, right the way to the group split. And I was really into Sgt. Pepper and things when it came out, because mm. I was six or seven, and that's the age group it's made mm. for, I think. I mean, it's the death of a rock and roll group, I understand mm. now. I have a slight nostalgia for one or two of the tracks on there. Yeah. But then you get things like Abbey Road, and they, we had those when they came out. And it's like, like Hendrix, you know, when Rainbow Bridge came out in about 71 or 72, I think, you know, you can hear that that group is finished and Hendrix doesn't know what the hell he's up to. Mm. Um, but it's um, these people were allowed to make the mistake. They mm. took too many drugs. The doors were allowed to go useless, mm. Mm. and it should be a warning from hell. Yeah, it's like you know, uh, Abbey Road should be held up so they don't go here. This is a dead end. Yeah. Not sort of like be born in Manchester and form a group that copies this forever. Yeah. Yeah, you know, listen to Shimmy Shimmy. Don't listen to Abbey Road. And you touched on Jimi Hendrix. So again, an unusual choice because we, we're saying one minute you're saying to, to moving Bruce Brown onto drums because he's a really talented guitarist and then Jimi Hendrix probably one of the best guitar players uh, unbelievable talent you picked him as well as an influence as well you know whereas I thought you would I could understand well, the Hendrix muddy waters a, well Hendrix is a bit like you know with Freddie and the Dreamers I like Freddie because I know we haven't got Freddie and the Dreamers because I don't like their music much yeah. but as a fan of those when I was a four and I was fan of, like I was a fan of people miming and all these things because I thought it meant I could be included and I had a Beatles week and we used to pretend to mime in the mirror and I had a toy guitar and I'm not musical and I couldn't be involved and these people say you can you're yeah. a kid and you're involved yeah and I know this matter for the pistols as well. Yeah. I think Rotten said the same thing. You know, you felt you were part of it. Yeah. And um, Hendrix came along. My brother bought a... The reason I'm so precocious, I've got a four-year-old brother who was at grammar school. I'm just... I, I picked everything up off him. Yeah. So I heard this music was out of kilter with my own age group. And uh, he bought the Hendrix home, and it took me a good a good six weeks or a few months to be able to stand it or understand it. I heard it and yeah. I thought it was just complete mayhem. Yeah. And it had no interest in for me. Yeah. And then I got the bug and I could see how brilliant it was. And Hendrix is a Hendrix is a great sensitive player. And of course he's yeah. sort of like he's a fun player. Yeah. And when he's doing pop music he's good. Yeah. When he's not doing pop music he's not. This goes yeah. for most of them. I mean you got that the initial experience are just dynamite. It's mm. fantastic. I mean, I was nearly chose EXP as the track of Five Are You Experience. We had mm. this album when I was a kid. And EXP says, Hello, ladies and gentlemen, I'm here with a very strange looking man by the name of Mr. Paul Crusoe. <laughs> and uh, can you tell me what your feelings are or whether there are not, whether there are or not? Uh, Flying saucers are even space people. And Jimmy yeah. Hendrix says, well, as you all know, you can't believe everything you see in here, can you? Now, if you'll excuse me, I must be on my way. Yeah. You start thinking, great! Yeah. You know, because that is fun. Sure, my 
It's like the Downliner set. Downliner yeah. set to the only British R&B group and probably the first British R&B group and they understood the humour in blues. Yeah. Rolling Stones, nope. Yeah. Pretty Things, nope. None yeah. of them. Yeah. Hendrix comes from that American tradition and he yeah. even, he at that point, when they're not flying up their own arses and that, yeah. they understand that this is light-hearted and can be fun. And fire and purple haze and these things—they're yeah. just absolutely fantastic. Well, they're joyous songs, records, aren't yeah. But you yeah. just have to yeah. see Hendrix's face when he's yeah. playing yeah. them as well. What about you know? And, I mean, you, and, you see the smile across his face when he's playing right. that guitar all the time. Oh, you you know? know, my favourite thing of Hendrix is Lulu's show. One of the tracks on there is playing, and his E is completely yeah. out of tune. Yeah. And he looks across to the others and to the camera, and he's never and he cracked up yeah. trying to tune his guitar. And for me, that is what rock and roll is. There's a photograph of the Sex Pistols at the 100 Club that we saw, me and Big Russ. And it was in one of these early... It was at the time, and it was when they... It was made back in the day, the book. And they, um, Rotten's on his knees laughing, and the others are cracking up. It's the best photo of the Sex Pistols you'll ever see, yeah. because yeah. they're not doing the pose. You know, rock and roll are all of these things... They encourage exuberant people. They encourage ex um, egotistical people and show-offs like myself. Mm. Mm. And what happens is, is they get encouraged to be more like it. Mm. And that is what's poisonous in music. I mean, talking of um, downline sects and another guy that had a penchant for hats, Don Crane, and you work with a down on the sectors right. as the head coach sect, didn't you? And they, they, they were a band that never really made it, did they? I mean, they never quite made it even as big as like the pretty thing. They're the third division. The they're the they, third they, division R&B. But they're they a great... Are, they're the rock. best British R&B yeah. group. Yeah. They're, they're, they're geniuses. I said to Don the uh, last year, my daughter, my daughter was two, and we were listening to Little Egypt and stuff in the car, mm. and she's singing along to Little Egypt and Glendora. Mm. And I... Thought, oh, I'll tell Don, so I got in touch. And I said, Oh, my daughter's two year old daughter's really into the sect, you know. Mm. And I said, And I tell you, listening to that stuff, it's just so brilliant, Don. It's you're, you're genius, it's yeah. the best thing. You, you know, pisses on all those other groups. And, he, and Don got back to me and said, Well, it's uh, he said, He said, Thanks, thanks, Billy, great. He said, But it's all smoke and mirrors, yeah. And because Don's a s smart guy, and I got back to Don and said, Yeah. It is smoke and mirrors, but your smoke and mirrors is better than the other people's smoke and mirrors. Yeah, yeah they're a great band. And you, in the head coach, you wore a deer stalker like Don Crane. Well, was this, that as a, as a little tribute to him? Or? Well, this was really from Bruce, because Bruce was the Downliners fan. Mm. He introduced us to the Downliners. You know, he had little people in the group who bring certain things into, mm. into what we listen to. And Bruce was definitely the Downliners fan, and he wore a deer stalker, and obviously... Being big fans of Basil Rathbone and all that stuff, yeah. I thought, oh, this is great. <laughs> yeah. So um, 
uh, we occasionally would be Caesars used to wear deer stalkers yeah. as well. Yeah. And I ha and there's a song called um, Leader of the Sect, mm. where Bruce Bruce thought that Don said um, I took off my head coat. It mm. was a deer stalker. Mm. And um, that's where the title of the group oh, came right. from. Okay. And um, so we always called deer stalkers head coats. Yeah. Because they look like head coats. Yeah. They're fantastic. And this is like all of the great mishearings because yeah. of Don I listened to. And I said, you know, on well, on a millionth listening, I one day I was sitting and I said, Bruce, he says, I took off my hat because it was a deer stalker. Yeah. And of course it makes complete sense because yeah. Don, Don wears a deer stalker to stalk deers. Yeah. And he was talking to a girl who'd been injured by a, by a bass guitar that had gone off the rails okay. so as a gentleman he took off his oh, right, yeah. hat because yeah. it was a deer stalker yeah. and which one have you chosen here you've um... we've got um, I don't know what have we got Hang On Sloopy Hang On Sloopy oh, right. yeah. another great joyous record as well. yeah, yeah. I, and I, the reason I chose some of these things like with the Ramones and Hang On Sloopy yeah. is because you see this tradition does not require the writer yeah. It's, it's very yeah. important thing to people know. I mean, how can you do Hang On Sloopy better than Hang On Sloopy? You can't, unless yeah. you're the downliner sick. Yeah. <laughs> how can you do, you know, and these people bring, bring with, through love of the, love and understanding of what they do, they bring it to sublime height. Yeah. yeah. On something that is, uh, would be dismissed as a cover. Downliner sect are great because they're third division. The third yeah. division is the amateur division in a sense. It's the area where you um, where you have all the freedom mm. because you're not just trying to pay. The, you're, you're not you're not doing it to pay the mortgage. You're doing it for love. Mm. But on this point, I did speak to Don very early on, and I said to Don, "Did you ever did you ever get to support Jimi Hendrix?" Because I always ask people to come big And he said, he said, he said, no, no, we never did. He said we might have played on the same bill, though. <laughs> That's a great answer. Isn't it? Yeah, I, I pissed <laughs> off the fella from Motorhead because when we were in the milkshakes, the uh, Big Beat were were releasing stuff by Motorhead. Right. And Lemmy came along to see us, and um, I was excited to meet this man because he'd roaded for Jimi Hendrix. <laughs> Not quite what Lemmy wanted to hear. <laughs> <laughs> yes. Yeah. You know, so I said, so you really, really, you know, you've like, oh, that's brilliant, <laughs> that's fantastic. And it's like, this is not what these guys need. Yeah. That's and right. I said to him, and he said, I said, 
and he complained about our PA system, which was, we were doing dingles, and it's a 200-watt PA system. He says, I can't hear this stuff up the back. I said, I said you're a fan of, you're a fan of um, Gene Vincent. You did a, just did, they just did a cover of his record. I said, Gene Vincent was through this. I said, I suppose you'd have 200 watts for, for, for your foldback. He said, 2,000. <laughs> it's true. Well, they were always loud. Volume, 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 volume. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. People have total misunderstanding about what sound yeah. is, what mm. matters, and how it is, and the colour of what sound is, and mm. the gear. Mm. I don't know, you must be fed up with hearing people cite you as an influence or a, as a Oh, as no, a I'm a big, I'm a, I you? love being cited as an influence. Yeah. I'm fed up with people not citing me as an influence. <laughs> 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 You've had some fair, a fair few sort of celebrity acknowledges, haven't you? Yeah, but they don't like it when I'm not a fan. Yeah, they accept, I suppose they expect it to be reciprocated, don't they? And to a degree, yeah. yeah. I mean, yeah. the good guys don't, like Mudhoney and that. They, You know, they don't care. They're they're sure enough of themselves. Yeah. They don't need a mutual rub. But some of them do not like it if you're not a fan. And I tried just to shut up. What we found now is that your the sort of garage rock, whatever you want to call it, scene of the Medway has, has had a bit of a resurgence, hasn't it? On, uh, on a very small level, but there's, I mean, we're doing our Medway gig. We've got Graham Day back playing, and we've got Lem Price Three. There's bands like Galileo Seven, and all those bands all are still. Leaves. Yeah, and they're they're all sort of tipping a wink to the Medway sound that. Uh, of, well, of the, you know, they're coming up with some. Pure rock and roll, really, is what they're coming yeah, up with. Yeah, it's just back to basic. Strip back. I mean, when you see Rob Simmons of The Fallen Leaves, you know, get his guitar and smash it about. I mean, it is like Link Ray, isn't it, the way he plays. and it's a good It's joy. Oh, it's, he is. It's a joy, isn't you it? You know, so. playing through his valve amp, you know. It's but, fantastic. But he was influenced again to get back to music by, by seeing you. Um, yeah, but Rob's sort of like probably one of these people, like I speak to Rob occasionally, and Rob's, yeah. he's on the level and he's a... He's not delusional about no. these things, and he's uh, he's not shy of giving due, which is nice. But he's a great player. To. Oh, he's it's, it's a raw, visceral yeah, player. I, I mean, no, we played with him a few times. I like his playing. So the head coats lasted for the longest of all your lineups. Is that? I'm not sure how long the Buck Medways lasted. Is that the? I don't know, but I know they lasted, went on for a long time. Yeah, felt like it. The head coats basically went from sort of 1990 to 2000, sort of. That era, wasn't it? Yeah. Pretty well. Yeah, About 10 years. Yeah. And, uh, yeah, I think I first photographed you at a gig up at the uh, St John's Tavern. Yeah, we used to there all the time, didn't we? Yeah, it was great. And then uh, did some sessions with you down at Camden Lock. Yeah, for that sub pop help. Yeah, that's right. And uh, you just went on for 10 years, you know, and uh, made a hell of a lot of good records yep. during that time. Yeah, there's a couple of them I think are good. 
All, all I do with records is I aim for four good tracks on a record. Yeah. And I've only ever noticed every album on God's Planet only have four good tracks yeah. on every record. So I don't see any reason for sweating it and worrying about it. Yeah. I'm wasting a load of time still only achieving four good tracks. <laughs> <laughs> and which would you pick from the Headcoats as uh, um, one of those great four tracks off an album? I had uh, one off the last album, which was An Image of You. Well, it's let's a strange hear, one. Let's hear the Headcoats and An Image of You. I think on the Buff Mobiles, a couple of tracks, they do have quite a Who influence suddenly coming. Yeah, well, what that, well how that came about was, um, you see, as ever, if you're sailing a boat, you've got to work out uh, what the engine is, what's mm. going on in the engine room. And Johnny uh, on bass and Wolf were in the Daggermen, and they were yeah. very Who influenced. Yeah. So I decided to write things for them. Yeah, because you hear what, that rumbling bass on a couple yeah, of tracks. Yeah, because you want to sort of like, you've got to, the group is the engine room, and yeah. the captain better get in line with the engine room if yeah. you want to have a good group. Yeah. And that's the yeah. other reason I love three pieces because it's nowhere to hide. That's right. And we use equipment where any mistake will be apparent immediately. Yeah. That's why we basically did three pieces after the milkshakes. I remember in 78 when the damn second album came out, 79, and they bought, um, Brian bought in. Uh, Oh, Lou. Lou to play guitar. Yeah. No disrespect to Lou or anything, yeah. but the another sound. guitar's not a good idea. It didn't work, did it? No, you got yeah. a three-piece yeah. backing, even yeah. if you even get rid of the thing if you can. <laughs> Oh, 
So then we had the musicians of the British Empire, which was the same as the same lineup as a Buff Medways, wasn't it really? But yeah, well, Julie had already been in playing with us a bit, my wife. Yeah. So in many ways it was. But we just wanted a new name and move on. And of course now we're the um, CTMF with basically the same lineup. Yeah. And musicians of the British Empire, we picked a couple of really great tracks which have got really good scathing lyrics and we, we like them that's Thatcher's Children and, and Joe Strummer's Grave and can you tell us a bit about those two tracks in particular? Because um, they are intensely political Billy Yeah Both of but in a, in a, Yeah maybe but in a sort of fun way You know, this document closed because of Thatcher. I always had a, a real, real empathy towards that woman. And, and Tony Blair, from the get-go as well. Him even as a, someone who would naturally vote Labour. And I sort of like... And what happened to music and art... What happened is, is that the world I liked was made less and taken away from. And I was sort of like, found it irritating that nobody was voicing is strong enough so yeah. I voiced it yeah yeah really yeah that's basically it I like the line as well the, the, the sort of cultural comment about the uh, the girls in Tesco's with a Ramones t-shirt listening to Beyonce well <laughs> that came around that because I said to Juju I said oh I've seen these girls in there they've got wearing Ramones shirts I can't believe they've got such a good taste said, they've never heard of the Ramones you idiot <laughs> that's right <laughs> I said, why not? She said, they buy those in Primark or whatever it is. Yeah.
let's bring it all the way back up to date, which is your latest um, outfit is um, Wild Billy Childish and the CTMF, which although it's your most recent releases, your most recent lineup, it's actually going right back now to pre-Pop Rivets days, isn't it? This is the are they, are they lyrics that you had written beforehand, or is it two, the tunes? Two or? two or three lyrics. I didn't write mm. tunes because I couldn't play. There's two or three yeah. lyrics, Chatham Forts, and the reason being that um, uh, when I was about 14, I formed a thing with a pal of mine from school called the uh, Midway Military Research Group. Yeah. And it was to study the Napoleonic and um, post-Napoleonic defences of Midway. Uh, which we used to break into and hang out and then we thought mm-hmm. we wondered what they were there for and what went on so we formed a group and made a guidebook and got involved in restoration of some of these some of these buildings so like actually one of the very first concrete archaeology archaeology groups in the country okay. yeah. and we even did some we we started getting bits of old aircraft and things like uh, finding reco- stuff reco- recovering them out on the marsh because we were also members of the, uh, or helped out with members of the Upchurch Archaeological Group doing digs on Roman kilns. Yeah. And this is about 74, 75, and then, uh, to, well, 70, probably 73 to 76 for me. The group still carried on afterwards. But we, um, when punk rock came along, I really wanted to be involved and have a group. And I didn't have an idea for what it would be about, so I thought I'd do one called the Chatham Force. Yeah, because yeah. I never look far for my um, <laughs> influences yeah, yeah. on my titles. Yeah. So then, it, like all the, all those all those years later, it just came round, and I was ready to do that group. Yeah, but I never did. Yeah, and who's in the lineup now? Who's it's me, Wolf, and Julie. So it's basically the members oh, the, and the musicians of the British Empire, Empire. Yeah, yeah. with ideas that um, apparently um, Jimmy Courtney and uh, Bill Drummond are involved. Bill's meant to be playing the uh, xylophone, and Jimmy's um, uh, plays bass. Yeah. Or, 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 you know, if I help him. Mm. Bill, I met Bill when he was um, when he was uh, when he got Zoo Records together. He was with Back Julian Cope, wasn't he? Yeah, yeah, that's right. Well, yeah. I've never met Bill, so he has to do it. He has to do his. He has to do his um, his xylophone by by um, by post. <laughs> But the, um, I know Jimmy because he's with the little gallery with Palomar Steve yeah. at L13. And I met Jimmy, and again, I'd never ever heard any of his music. Yeah. And uh, so that's this great thing with YouTube and that. So I, I, Julie put my wife put some stuff in, and we uh, we watched some of what Jim and Bill had been doing. I'd spoken to Bill on the blower before, but not met him. And I was really thought it's fantastic because if. I was ever going to do anything like that with music that I don't like. Mm. That's exactly how I would have done it because <laughs> I, I found it really, really <laughs> sarcastic, yeah. Yeah. and I love that. Yeah. You know, I thought yeah. it had real proper wit and intelligence, yeah. Yeah. and that's that's all you really need. Because yeah. it's got to be fun. I think, like Paul was saying, this po-face stuff just isn't great funny music. Yeah. That's right. You know, that's why right. it's like the doors. You know, you got the doors. I nearly had the doors on my list because yeah. I love the first album. Yeah. But I mean, it's such a po faced prick. Yeah. Um, <laughs> and, you know, a great poet, my yeah. ass. Yeah. You know, but great pop songs. Oh, yeah. And, that, that? The, and the, the thing that I like most in popular music is pop rock and roll music. Yeah. As Buddy Ollie, you yeah. know, Buddy Ollie invented the form. 
and it works. Yeah. It works all the way up to Ramones. After that, it sort of goes a bit stale. Got, I did work out a history of music that you could just include Buddy Holly, um, the Beatles and the Ramones. Well, that's they, one of your tracks, that, that isn't just, it? That just, yeah. yeah. And we don't yeah. even bother with the Rolling Stones. Yeah, that's right, yeah. And this is the The chorus of that is fantastic, isn't it? You know, that pretty much sums up your philosophy, doesn't it, on music, that song, I think. Yeah, and I like it because on the same record, we did that. We did the CTMF album, and yeah. there's a secret that that album has an A and a C, a B and a C side. So yeah. some people got an A and oh, a B, right. and some got an A and a C, which we never told anyone. It's a different track listing. So it's different track listing on the back, no track listing on the record. That's right, yeah. yeah. And we did do, we, we, we covered a, uh, a Stone's cover. Ah. On the other side. Oh, we'll have to um, get hold of Ian to get us. A, I've got yeah, the. Yeah, exactly. And you've released two albums so far. We did a we did a double ten inch in Berlin. Oh, ten inch. Okay. Yeah. As an album. Yeah. Yeah. But on as expensively and difficultly as possible. Yeah. And what's next? That you and you're releasing a new CTMF. We're doing oh, a new right. CTMF with a photo from '77 on the front in my parents' oh, back garden yeah. when I was a when I was a nipper. So that's called Punk Rock Enough For Me, which is a list of what's punk rock enough for me. Yeah. Uh, which is just a list of likes and what I think's good. I'll yeah. send you a copy if you want. Yeah, I can great. send yeah. you it so you can yeah. use it. Yeah. And then we're also doing Spartan Dregs, which is my group oh, okay. with my pal Neil singing. Yeah. And I write yeah. the songs of him. And we're doing an album, for a split album, called uh, Archaeopteryx versus Celia Kempf mm. for Berlin. And the plan at the moment, what I want to do is do it as a, um, a limited edition of about, I'm not sure, maybe 20 or 30 copies. And to get one of these copies, you have to make a photographic, I mean, a, a, a paint a picture of your interpretation of the title, mm-hmm. or write a 1,500-word essay on why you should be allowed to buy the album. <laughs> And then you get, and then you be judged on veracity, yeah. comprehension, and artistic uh, interpretation. And you can score <laughs> ten in each category. Yeah. And if you score above twenty, you're allowed to buy a copy of this. Oh, you don't get one. You're you're, you're allowed, allowed to, to buy, buy one, one, right? And okay. this rare one. And then those parts will be okay, used to make make a. Uh, we'll do a bigger edition using the sleeve notes that we gain and the uh, and the artwork that we design. That we gain of a oh. Archaeopteryx versus a Celia. Fantastic. This is a good a st- idea. That's going to be a split album with yeah. Spartan Dregs and CTMF. CTMF, yeah. But everything for me is making these records in these old ways. You know, when we did the Spartan Dregs, we did yeah. the uh, we did a free LP if you cut off the corners of the sleeves and yeah. sent a postal order in and you could get the third album. And it's also like, because once when, when you used to buy records, it used to be good fun. And yeah. you wanted things, you couldn't get them, and yeah. it was interesting. 
And now it's just sort of like everyone can have everything. Yeah. So I'm just making it awkward because then it's fun. Well, we're looking forward to the next CTMF album, and is that going to be released soon? Yes, hopefully in. Um, when is that June? Ian will know, but I guess yeah. we're doing it at the probably September. And you mentioned some live footage is also surface of some early yeah that's just the pop, pop rivets. rivets in 77 yeah. on super 8 and is that going to see any sort of release at all yeah i think that's due out on a, in a little box set and hopefully someone oh. will put it on youtube and everyone can watch it like a pop rivets box set it's a bo- it's a box with an original badge a original unreleased demo record yeah. and the film yeah. and a little story about the first gig Well, thanks for your time today, Billy. It's been a pleasure to, to have a chat and look at your work as well. Thank you. Pleasure to and, talk uh, to you as well. Thank you. And thank you, Paul. Thank you. And don't forget, check out uh, Retroman blog, www.retromanblog.com, uh, and we'll put some uh, more details of our trip down to the Midway. And thanks to Billy again, and thank you, Paul. Good night. <laughs>